Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning, worshiping our Lord and our Savior and our King. I hope that this morning our hearts would be open to what God wants to teach us through His Word and through this time of worship. I, I pray and I hope that we are oriented back towards our true destiny, our true end. I don't know if you've ever been in uh, this kind of situation, if you've ever experienced uh, an interaction like this. It's between a kid and a parent. And it starts something like, hey, Johnny, would you please unload the dishwasher? Why? Uh, because I asked you to. But I don't want to. I didn't ask you if you wanted to. Just do it. Maybe you've been the kid in that experience. Maybe you've been the adult in that experience. But it is nearly impossible as a parent to convince a child that doing the thing they don't want to do might actually lead to their best. It might actually be the best thing for them to do. You see, that training, that constant day-in and day-out uh, effort that we make as parents the, the chores, the practice, the tasks we ask our kids to do. They're not just meant for us to um, be a way for us to get our anger out. They're not just meant for uh, us to, uh, to be used as an instrument to get our frustrations out and to cause pain for our kids or even anger out of our kids. But they're meant to train because with constant practice, day in and day out, the hope is that one day, not just practices would be changed, but character would be formed. The aim isn't just, the aim isn't perfect behavior. The aim is changed character. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, and as I think about it, as I think about the process that um, our family goes through and the training that Catherine and I try to put our kids through, um, we still have spilled milk days. We still have whiny attitude moments. And we still have outbursts of frustration. And I'm not talking about the kids. Okay, so we all wrestle with this kind of thing. Um, but it's important that as we train, if we're going to be training, if we're going to be practicing... It's important that we know what we're training towards. What's the end? What's the goal that I'm aiming at? Because that informs all of our training. That informs everything we do, everything we practice. If we don't have clarity on the end, then we're not going to have clarity on the direction that we want our lives to go and the practices that we do day in and day out. What I want to suggest is that the ultimate end we move toward is based on what we ultimately want most. The ultimate end we move toward is based on what we ultimately want most. So the question is, what do you want most? What do you want? Welcome to Second Nature, practicing our first loves. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Our text is going to be Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17 and going all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. 
That might seem like a kind of a strange way to break up the text, but um, trust me, it will make sense as we go. And as we jump in, as we jump into verse 17, we've got to understand that this is a letter that Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. He's not just writing to a church of people he doesn't know. He's writing to friends. He's writing to partners. He's writing to people that he's had a relationship with. But now he's separated over a distance, writing from a prison cell in Rome, back to his friends because he loves and cares for them. So some of, this, some of the text is going to seem like, wow, that's hard. That is a difficult word. But we've got to understand it in the context of Paul writing to friends. And that's the attitude I want to have personally myself this morning, is to be sharing this as I would share it among friends. And I've prayed for that. So this, our text this morning, hopefully, is going to clarify what we want most, and it's going to help us evaluate whether or not what we want most is actually our best. Paul's going to share with us three things that we need to do. We need to emulate good, strive for better, and acquire the best. So let's look at verse verse 17 here. Chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take the one that's in the pew there. Join with others in following my example, brothers, And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Paul's saying, imitate me as I have imitated others and as as I have imitated Christ. Now, that sounds like kind of an arrogant statement at first. Imitate me. Just look at me. But it's not. If we understand the context, if we've read chapter 2, we know that Paul is not at all arrogant. He's actually incredibly mature. He says, look, I I strive for this, but I haven't reached it yet. I strive, but I haven't attained. There's no way that we can read this text and say that Paul believes himself to have arrived at perfect. I mean, he's striving towards it. And if Paul hasn't reached perfect, then we better better understand that we're probably not going to reach perfect either. Think about it. Paul wrote the Bible. Imagine that conversation. Hey, uh, I'm Paul. I've uh, a recent book I, I wrote. Uh, would you like to, like to read it? It's the Bible. It's incredible. The humility that Paul has as he's, as he's writing this letter. And Paul is also saying, Look out for people that are doing the same thing. Look out for those peculiar people, those living countercultural, not swept away by the latest trends or the latest fashions, not looking for shortcuts to happiness, but instead striving towards true joy. Previously in, in this letter, Paul says, look at these men, scope them out. He brings up two. He says, Timothy and Epaphroditus, there are good examples There are others that you could follow. Timothy, because he's looked out for the best interests of Philippi and for the best interests of Christ. He's been a great example for the church. And Epaphroditus, because he almost gave his life 
to serve the church. He was so sick on one of his journeys that he almost died. Now that's the kind of selfless love, that's the kind of model that Paul's pointing us towards. They embody a do-nothing-out-of-selfish-ambition type of way. Uh, Pseudo-Libinius, a Greek teacher of rhetoric in the 4th century AD, said, Always be an emulator, dear friend, of virtuous men, for it's better to be well spoke of when imitating good men than to be reproached by all men while following evil men. Pursue people that are in the process of working this stuff out in their lives. Not people that have swept their problems under the rug or deny that they have any issues. Pursue people that are working this out. Read the stories of people that have gone before and have finished well. Look to them as an example. Place yourself in their situation and say, how did they do that? How did they make that change? What were the things that turned it around for them? And just a one word of caution. Please, as you're looking up to people, as you're looking up to examples of people that have gone before you, that have lived well, that have lived this example of humble maturity, don't compare yourself. Please hear me. Don't compare yourself. When we start playing the comparison game, we set ourselves up for despair, we set ourselves up for discouragement, and that is exactly the opposite of what this text is supposed to be leading us to. Paul is leading us towards encouragement. So yes, look up to people that have gone ahead. Look up to people that are good examples. But don't compare yourself. And on the flip side, he says, look out for the sinister patterns. Look out for the the things of the world that run contrary to what I'm saying. That would appear to be the opposite of Christ. That would appear to be the opposite of me, Paul. That would appear to be the opposite of Timothy and Epaphroditus. I don't know if any of you have been tracking with the kind of strange metamorphosis of Taylor Swift from kind of this um, sweet country girl to uh, vengeful pop diva. But if if we allow people like that, people in our culture, to influence us, then we're going the wrong direction. Then we're not aiming at what we want to ultimately get. So who are the people that you're modeling your life after, either consciously or subconsciously? We get a lot of messages from our culture that fly right under the radar. We don't even know that they're impacting us. We don't even know that they're having an influence in our lives. It, we don't even know that they are shaping our, even our very wants and desires. We need to lean, press on, and grow into what God has for us. And that takes courage and wisdom. See, confessing sin to someone else and giving that to Jesus, that's hard. And it feels really unnatural at first. Being humble, teachable, repentant, 
engaging the process of being made better, that's not natural at first. It takes work and it takes intentional work. And when we get tired of loving people, when we get tired of putting others first, when we get tired of being a doormat, we can open this passage up and be encouraged. So let's look at 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19. We'll keep going here. For, as I have often told you before and now say again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. So we started off, hey, emulate good. And now Paul says, strive for better. Paul's showing us two very distinct and different destinies for people. People that are potentially sitting in the very same house church, or for us, sitting in this very same pew, gathered together but with remarkably different destinies. They say they want Christ, but they live out different loves. Have you ever stopped to consider that Jesus had a disciple that wasn't actually a Christian? That's strange. He was claiming Christ. He was walking with the other disciples. He was walking with godly men. He was, for all intents and purposes, behaving like godly men. He even took the bread and the cup on Jesus Christ's last night. But he was lured away by something shiny. 30 pieces of silver to be exact. Judas was among Christians, but not a Christian. And this, re- this reality is reason for tears. Look what he says. For as now I have often told you before and now say again, with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Now, let me, just, let me just get something clear. We all go through days where we feel like enemies of the cross, where we feel like we are not getting it right. But what Paul is talking about is a constant and continuous pattern of repeated action, repeated sin. When he says enemies, he means men and women with a routine and a habit aimed at self. I want it now. I need it now. I'm going to get it now. And I don't care who I have to hurt along the way to get it. The aim, the destiny for those that simply profess but fail to let Christ live through them is utter and complete loss. It's the result of a misplaced love or desire or lust even. The word for destiny, or end in some translations in the Greek, is telos. And it looks something like this. Telos. It describes the final goal toward which men and things are striving. 
and the outcome of the destiny that awaits them. The final goal, the outcome toward which men are striving, outcome or destiny that awaits them. Telos, think, uh, think telescope, okay? When you extend a telescope out, you are looking at something in the distance. You're looking at something in the future, way out ahead of you. And the hope is you're focusing on that thing so you can be tracking and tacking towards that thing. But a telescope becomes remarkably more unuseful the closer you look. So if I am aimed way out in the future, it's a very helpful instrument. If I am looking straight down, if I am looking down only at what's happening in my immediate surrounding, it becomes blurry, it becomes confused, it makes no sense. But I think some of us, without even realizing that, without even thinking about it, we've moved our telescope from something way out in the future, aimed for destiny, and we've lowered it. And our focus becomes car, house, family, power, sensual pleasure. And it confuses our direction. It confuses our aim. And it gets in the way of any possible hope of humble service, of an other's first attitude, of justice-seeking, of aiding in those experiencing poverty, and anything under the umbrella of love and love for people. The culture, the world, has its energy focused on its own telos. The Christ-emulating community has a telos that is remarkably different The world says, do what you have to do to get money so you can become normal, upstanding, contributing, autonomous consumers. Make money to spend money. Stimulate the economy. But the Christ-emulating community has a telos that's different. Become transformed, progressing kingdom builders, seeking the face of Christ and his maximum glory. Emulate Christ to love Christ and build his kingdom. If we're doing that, if we're looking to Christ with him as our aim, we should begin to look like God-worshipping image reflectors, reflecting God's image, worshipping him first and foremost, our first and primary love. As a body, when we come together, we, we rehearse the gospel story week in and week out. We are practicing as a church. We are rehearsing for what we're going to do out in the world. This gathering, this church service, it isn't the ends. This is where we train for what we're going to do out there. So we have some options, two options that we're going to look at. We can either practice present self-indulgence, which reflects the world, 
And it would be a guiding principle that sounds like, I'm going to do whatever I want, when I want, based on however I'm feeling right now. Or we can choose a cruciform existence that reflects the cross, that reflects Christ. And it sounds different. It sounds like this. Let me see Jesus in everything. Let me do whatever is pleasing to him, no matter how hard or strange it seems to me at the time. Now, present self-indulgence reflects the world. If you start eating a dozen donuts every day for the whole month, it doesn't matter how healthy you were beforehand. It's going to affect your life because it's going to start working on your very cravings. That sugar spike is going to start being expected by your body. Your body is going to crave that. And pretty soon, you will have trained a longing. You will have trained a desire right into your your life. And if we keep with what Paul's picturing here for us, it wouldn't just be behaving arrogantly. Look at what he says. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. It's as if we ate a dozen donuts every day for a month, and then we're like, woo, I ate a dozen donuts today, I'm going to keep doing it because it's awesome. It's flaunting what shouldn't be flaunted. It's believing abnormal and distasteful is the new normal. It's believing and boasting in what should be shame. And the present self-indulgent lifestyle is going to get in the way of any attempt to look out for others and build up the kingdom. But it's even worse. Look at what Paul says the destination is for people like this. Their destiny, their end, their telos is destruction. If you've ever got sucked into a Netflix binge fest and you've watched a whole season or two seasons of a show, you know that what you originally wanted wasn't actually what you wanted. Because at the end of that, because at the end of that show, you're not more filled, you're less filled. You're left with that empty and hollow feeling. And questions like, what did I just do? Why did I just do that? You realize that watching a full season of Fuller House in one sitting was not a good idea. Imagine that feeling for eternity. Remember I said this was going to be a hard word? Remember that Paul is speaking this out of love. He doesn't want that hollow and empty feeling for you, and neither do I. Let's look at verses 20 to 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Are we letting Jesus form our hearts at our deepest desire? 
we allowing our wants to be transformed back to what they ultimately should be pointing to, towards Jesus? Are we a community of citizens moving towards the end that we actually want? Is that reflected in our church practice? Is it reflected in our family practice? Is it reflected in our business practice? How many times... How many times do you ask during a day? Conversation with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, what do, what do you want me to do next? Should I do this or should I do that? For how many of you is it so second nature to ask God for his will? So second nature to act on whatever he answers? I know it's always, not always so natural for me. But that's what it should be. Is what you want lined up with what God wants? If it's not lined up with what God wants, is it really what you want? And that's the point we're getting to. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different than the world's vision. It's going to be marked by peculiar practices with an alternative aim. This isn't going to happen overnight. Training in virtues, training in character, doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up one morning and say, ah, character, I've arrived. No, that takes experience. That takes practice. It takes intentional effort and work. This is what we're being invited into in this text. And that's why we come to church. Not to pledge our allegiance or fulfill the required hours to get the perfect attendance award, but to show up and let God work on us. This is a place that we can say sorry, where our hearts can finally be free. Because we're not perfect yet. Here's a place where we can find strength to keep on striving better, for better, even though we're not perfect yet. To show up and to share in a meal that that pictures the blood and the body of Christ, and to do that together, and allow that to start changing our hearts and transforming our loves back towards where they always have belonged. To show up and sing songs that resonate on a level of our hearts that spoken word is just not always going to reach. to show up here and be reminded of our true home, our true citizenship. To be reminded that sin has dislocated us. But the cross relocates us. It should influence everything that we do, everything that we think. And look at, this, look at how this ends. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform your lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The power to transform and hold everything together. That is incredible. Jesus not only propels us, but he attracts us at the same time. There is something about him that draws us in. 
He's the motivator that runs just one step behind us to keep us going, to, pre- to help us to press through whatever limitations we've set on ourselves. And he's also the prize at the end of the race. Paul says, hey, listen, guys. Rome wants you to look at Roman practices and look like Rome. The Jewish religious leaders, they want you to look at Jewish practices and look like Jews. But listen, guys, I want you to look at me, looking at Jesus, and look like him. That's telos. That's destiny. That's an end worth striving towards. To be remakers and restorers with Christ. To be part of this redemptive plot line that continues with all things being subjected to Christ and then being raised with him. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom whom I love and long for, my joy and crown... That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Emulate God. Strive for better. And then he says, acquire the best. Acquire the best. That's how you stand firm. Like a Roman soldier in battle, holding their ground, Standing firm, emulating good, striving for better, and acquiring the best. In the end, it's really all about where your telescope is aimed. And do you even need a telescope? If you're only thinking about the next 15 minutes, if you're only thinking about lunch, if you're only thinking about tomorrow, maybe next week, you probably don't need a telescope. But let me, let me put it this way. If you're thinking about only to retirement, what it's going to take, what efforts you're going to have to do, what work you're going to have to put in to get to retirement, still probably don't need a telescope. But if your aim is glory, if your aim is heaven, if your aim is seeing the face of Jesus Christ, standing in his presence, looking him right in the face and knowing that you're redeemed, knowing that you're loved, knowing that sin once separated you, but now because of the cross, you can stand unashamed in God's presence. And you might need a telescope. Look, we are not perfect, but our telos can be. What we're aiming for can be perfect. And we've got to ask, what did we prepare for in this life? What will be celebrated when it's over? Our wants determine our practices. Our practices shape who we're becoming. The end we move toward is based on what we want most. The desire for Christ doesn't just happen. Like children, we need training and practice over and over and over again. 
That training shapes our wants and hopefully influences the direction that we're going towards what's best. So what do you want most? Pause. Ask yourself, what do you want most? What's your primary love? What are you practicing? What's become second nature for you? Take a second and think about it. What's one practice that you see in your life? Be honest with yourself. You don't have to share this with anybody else. What's one practice in your life that's leading you away from what you ultimately want? And what's one practice that could replace that? What's one thing you could do today or next week for the rest of your life training and practicing that could replace that misplaced one with something that's aimed toward a telos that really matters? Jesus is our first and primary love. Imagine letting him live through us while we work out our own salvation. Imagine our overflowing loves becoming second nature as we look to a future glory, a home that he, Jesus Christ, has prepared for us, and he, Jesus Christ, is preparing us for. Emulate good, strive for better, and acquire the best. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for an aim and an end that is actually worth striving for, that is actually worth pressing on towards. God, I pray that when we get discouraged, when we lose sight of what our first love, what our primary love should be, I pray that you'd bring us back to this text. I pray that you'd bring us back to you. I pray that you'd turn our hearts. I pray that you'd transform our loves through the practices that we engage in back to you, back to heaven, back to glory, that our lives could be about not just us, but about you and your kingdom. Lord, let us not be sucked into the trap that says our home is here so that all our energies are put towards making our home here, our safe, soft, and comfortable. Lord, please, God, help us see beyond this life and let that vision, let that tell us influence everything that we do. Lord, help us have faith like children and a love for you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.